But if you had, let's say, 3 to 5% in the portfolio, that's a good way to offset traditional fixed income risk, uh, such as duration risk. So that, that could certainly go a long way, in my opinion. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. This week's market volatility may be a cue for advisors to pause and consider new strategies to capture long-term growth for your clients. In today's episode, Portfolio managers Alfred Lee, Chris McKinney, and your host Mark Rays talk future-proofing with BMO's new ETFs that focus on clean energy, U.S. tips, and technology-covered calls. Before we hear from our experts, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, and welcome to our BMO Global Asset Management ETF call. I'm your host, Mark Rays, head of product for BMO Game Canada, covering ETFs and funds. We're joined today by Chris McKaney and Alfred Lee, both PMs on our ETF desk. Chris works on equity and derivative strategies, while Alfred works on fixed income and preferred shares. Once again, it's, it's been quite an eventful week. Let's start with your views on President Biden's first days in office. Uh, He's most definitely hit the ground running, and that's despite the chaotic transfer of power. How does this look now for our defensive growth strategy that we've been talking about over the past year, which focuses on our quality ETFs offering global U.S. and European exposures? I'll give that one to Alfred. Thanks. Sure. So, um, you know, Biden's certainly been uh, very busy. You're, you're right. You know, in his first couple of days in the office, uh, so far he's published, I think, 17 executive orders, and that ranges from everything from, you know, promoting safety and travel during the COVID-19 pandemic to, you know, as Chris mentioned, joining the uh, Paris Agreement on climate change uh, recently as well, which was, I think, you know, one of the key reasons and why the Keystone Pipeline was put on ice. But, you know, as anticipated, there was a lot of orders that promote not only environmental issues, but also racial and gender equality as well. Uh, but in terms of, you know, how it affects quality ETFs, I would still say, you know, quality still makes a very good core to a portfolio. Uh, if you look at the market right now, for example, you know, there's a lot of perfection priced into the market, as we mentioned last week, both in the credit markets and also the equity markets as well. So just for reference, if you look at the S&P 500, it currently has a P.E. ratio of 30.8 times earnings, which is, you know, if you look at it historically, I think it's one of the highest levels on record. So admittedly, you know, if the economy opens back up, we'll probably see earnings growth, which would justify some of these valuations. But, you know, as I mentioned, I think there's a lot of perfection priced into the markets right now. When you look at, you know, the VIX, the VIX has been trading around the 22 or 23 since the Pfizer news. Uh, It's a little bit higher this morning, but... You know, there's there's a lot of potential mishaps that could cause volatility to return. Uh, there's you know the potential distribution of vaccines, uh, which you know could be some difficulties in that space as we're we're already seeing. Uh, could lead to a lot of social unrest as we're seeing already in Europe this morning. Um, 
but there could potentially be changes to the fiscal stimulus package as well. The White House is already signaling uh, stimulus checks could be a little bit more narrowly uh, targeted than anticipated, which could you know upset a lot of people. Uh, but quality ETFs, I think, you know, are a good way to stay invested and participate in any kind of upside equity market moves, but also protect of the downside as well. If we get any kind of a slip up in the market, you know, over the last couple of days, we've definitely seen a lot of frenzy in the market with a lot of speculation in stocks that don't even turn a profit. You know, especially with a lot of this GameStop fiasco that's been going on. Uh, if you look at the options activity going on going on this morning, which you know Chris would know better than I, uh, you know, the Reddit crowd seems like they're turning to the most heavily shorted stocks in the market right now. So they're essentially you know, banking on a short squeeze. Um, but I don't think that strategy can last forever. Over the long haul, I think you know companies that turn a profit is a much safer and better long-term strategy. So as I mentioned, I think you know quality is still a good way to build a core to a portfolio. Uh, you know, you focus on blue chip companies that not only have high earnings, but also stable earnings as well. So, you know, in, in terms of building a cornerstone to a portfolio, I'd still say, you know, if you focus on names like Visa, Apple, Procter & Gamble, Microsoft, you know, these are all companies that are going to make money no matter whether, you know, the economy expands or contracts. So ZUQ, in my opinion, I still think it's a great building block, especially if Biden succeeds in, you know, his Buy America plan. Uh, ZUQ, in my opinion, is you know, an ETF that is often overlooked, but it's a good one ticket solution to get, you know, global blue chip exposure. And if you want to invest in Europe, ZEQ is a good way to extract, you know, the best quality companies out of Europe. So uh, overall, I'd still say I'm very high in quality. Uh, it's a good way to participate in the upside, but also be well positioned if we get any kind of a market correction here. Great. Thanks for that, Alfred. And good to hear we're so consistently supporting that trade, you know, when you do look at that quality trade, as you mentioned, it's that upside participation uh, combined with a bit of protection on the downside that really makes it a part of your discipline core of your portfolio. So another trade that we consistently supported uh, has been the banks, which we certainly saw have been catching up on the wider recovery. Now, as of the last couple of weeks, we've seen that trade start to slow a little bit. So, Chris, I'll go your way. What's your outlook moving forward for both the Canadian and U.S. banks? Thanks. Sure. Thanks, Mark. And, yeah, certainly we have seen that trade slow down in the last couple of weeks, although um, notably both um, sectors are still much higher than, than where they were um, at, at the end of 2020, um, having spiked significantly in early January. Um, you know, what we've seen with these two sectors, and I'll, I'll comment on ZEB relative to Canadian banks and ZUB for, for U.S. banks, um, you know, they did start to recover um, really when that vaccine news came out in early November as there was a, uh, you know, that light at the end of the tunnel got turned on and, and, and people saw that there will be a reopening at some point. Um, of course, banks are leveraged to economic activity and economic growth, and so as the economy expands, the banks tend to benefit from that. But really, they've been trading in line with the, the yield curve. And, you know, a steeper yield curve typically uh, is good news for banks who can borrow uh, short term at low rates and lend long term at higher rates. And, you know, as that yield curve has steepened, and that really started in August, but accelerated again in November with the news of the vaccines, um, you know, the banks have, have really traded right alongside that. And, and what we saw early in January was, I guess, a recommitment, um, particularly from the Fed in the U.S., to not 
um, worry about inflation and keep short-term rates very low, that had the effect of, of really steepening that yield curve um, over over only a couple of days in January, and the banks, um, you know, rallied on the back of that as well. Now that the yield curve is somewhat normalized, you take a look at both in Canada and the U.S. Um, if you take a look at the relationship between two-year yields and 10-year yields, we're back to levels that we haven't seen since 2017, actually. So it's it's been a few years since the yield curve has actually been this steep. And so that's why you've seen the sort of slowing down over the last couple of weeks as there's been a, a big move over the last couple of months. And that's starting to, to sort of trade sideways now a little bit. And the banks are, are trading sideways on the back of that. In terms of outlook, though, for the rest of this year and, and, and going forward, again, the banks are really tied to economic growth and economic activity. And so the degree to which economies will be allowed to reopen in 2021 will will have some effect on, on banks' performance. Um, so again, looking at ZEB in Canada, it's up about 20% since November. Um, ZUB for U.S. banks is probably up double that, about 40%. And so you would expect a little bit of a breather here um, to start off the year after moves of that size. Um, and obviously, U.S. banks tend to be a little bit more volatile than the Canadian banks do as well. They're, um, they're not quite set up the same way as, as most uh, investors are familiar with. Um, so in terms of what you would expect going forward, if you expect a broad reopening with significant economic growth, certainly ZEB, ZUB, and if you want unhedged for the U.S., ZBK would be the other uh, U.S. bank to look at. Um, these make great investments as, again, they will benefit from economic activity. Um, if you're more of the mind that uh, economic growth and reopening might take a little bit longer, um, you know, you can take a look at the covered call versions of both of these funds. We have ZWB um, as a covered call version of ZEB, and we have ZWK as a covered call version on U.S. banks. And so what that does is gives you, trades away a little bit of that potential upside for current cash flow today. Um, in the form of options premium. So that adds a little bit to your um, total return if you're expecting markets to move sideways or just slow growth. Um, I think the other benefit of the bank trade or, or investing in this sector is, um, you know, even if you think that economic growth is going to take some time, um, you know, these funds pay a very decent dividend yield. ZEB, despite the, the 20% run-up that we've seen recently, still has a 4% dividend yield. And in Canada, obviously, that's tax-preferred um, cash flow as well. Um, ZUB, the, the U.S. banks, you know, the dividend yield's never been quite as high, but still at 2.5% um, with that more growth potential that, that we've talked about coming from the U.S. sector. So you're still getting paid to wait in these sectors um, as we do wait for economies to reopen and see what that's going to look like. Um, and again, various options based on if you want more growth or if you want that covered call version as well to add more income to your portfolio. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. And again, good to hear that we're you know, still consistently supporting that trade, trade and that there's uh, still a ways to go there. So let's turn a little bit and talk about uh, a few of the new ETFs that we brought out yesterday. There's some compelling investment ideas that we're that we're supporting here that can support advisor portfolios, and that of course includes, you know, mega trends and, and innovation, uh, clean energy, uh, obviously tech exposure, and even inflation with with U.S. tips. Let's take a look at clean energy, and certainly we saw returns take off in 2020, 
uh, with U.S. tickers like ICLN taking in significant assets. Can you introduce our new ETF, ZCLN, and comment on your outlook for 2021 on clean energy, uh, considering those returns from last year? Thanks. Sure, and ZCLN, uh, as you mentioned, um, our, our new clean energy ETF, it actually tracks the same index as the ICLN in the U.S. that, that you referenced there. It's the S&P Global Clean Energy Index, which selects companies that are involved in clean or renewable energy or um, technologies surrounding that sector. So um, it's not a pure energy focus in terms of the gig sector classifications. You get a lot of utilities in there, actually, but also in information technology, you know, companies that uh, build fuel cells and uh, wind turbines and, and things like that. Um, and so certainly, you know, as, as we look forward, as you mentioned, you know, 2020 was actually a very, very strong year for returns in this sector. I think ICLN was up in the neighborhood of 150% last year. Um, so while we wouldn't necessarily expect, obviously, significant outsized returns like that in this particular year going forward, um, we do think this is a trend that has a long way to go and is going to play out over the, over the next 5, 10, and even 20 years as globally, really, you're going to see a huge transition from fossil fuel um, to clean or renewable energy sources. Um, again, looking at the U.S. rejoining the Paris Agreement, looking at, you know, Biden even had recent comments about replacing um, the government fleet with electric cars um, to any number of uh, corporations that have signaled their intent to be uh, net carbon neutral by 2035, 2040, um, or even 2050, which is kind of the global um, sort of target for, for moving to carbon neutral um, energy sourcing. And so, Again, we think this is a trend that obviously has a lot of momentum behind it. Um, you know, the costs of, of, of these energy sources have come down dramatically, um, as well as battery technology to, to hold that, that energy. Um, but we think with significant investment on the way, those costs are even just going to go even lower. And so we think there's a huge tailwind behind um, this sector. And, you know, looking out 10, 20, even 30 years, potentially this is the energy sector um over the long long term uh of course how do we get there it's going to take some time and there will be bumps in the road so um we do think this is an area though that is is uh has long-term tailwinds behind it and could potentially be a, a less volatile way to to gain that energy exposure and to gain potential for significant growth again i mentioned about half the fund is in utilities right now so it's a little less volatile way um, of potentially playing that growth trade um, and that long-term trend. Thanks for that, Chris. And I think you hit on a really key point there uh, where the costs are, have been declining dramatically uh, within this space, and that really helps uh, to give that forward momentum combined with what's going on, obviously, politically and everyone getting behind the green energy push. So lots of legs in that trade for sure. Um, one time, another new one that we brought out um, U.S. TIPS with our ticker ZTIP. Alfred, can you walk us through that, or, that ETF uh, and give us your thoughts on inflation, um, considering that these inflation-protected bonds uh, have been pricing, pricing in uh, an idea of rising inflation? Thanks. Sure. Um, so, 
for you know ZTIP, uh, ZTIP will invest in U.S. Treasury inflation uh, protected security, so TIPS. Um, you know, I think this is a very unique product versus other TIPS products out there because you know, the difference in this one is that it focuses on the short end of the curve, meaning that um, you know TIPS securities that mature in, in you know between zero and five years. And the reasoning in focusing on the short end of the curve is because you know if you think if inflation were to occur, uh, the market would essentially anticipate that the Fed would have to counter uh, by raising rates at some point in the future, which means that you know, longer-term rates would likely move up uh, in that scenario. So if you've invested in a product that has long-term or long-end exposure to tips, the likelihood is that you potentially win on inflation, but you would be negatively impacted by the duration risk. So uh, in terms of our inflation outlook, um, if you look at the you know the the stage for inflation or you know the stage has definitely been set for inflation, uh, a lot of the ingredients for potential inflation is out there. So if you look at you know monetary stimulus, government stimulus, it's been doled out to historical historical levels. So uh, even when you consider the growth of the economy, when you look at the uh, debt to GDP at the U.S., it's never been this high since at least you know, the late 1940s, post-World War II. And when you add in the fact that, you know, the Fed has moved away from targeting short-term inflation, uh, similar to, you know, in the 1970s when they let short-term inflation get out of hand, that was one of the key reasons in why you know, inflation got out of control in the 1970s. So we're, we're certainly not saying that inflation is going to get out of control like we saw in the 1970s. But, you know, when you look at a lot of the supply-demand imbalances out there, you have massive supply chain disruptions caused by uh, COVID uh, still from early spring of last year. So you know, there are stories out there of meat processing plants, for example, that you know have a, had a COVID outbreak and workers are now scared to go back to work, which further exacerbates the uh, supply shortages that we're already seeing. So one of the silver linings or one of the somewhat of the silver lining in all this is that demand in the last couple of months has been relatively low. But, you know, if we do get this economic reopening, we could we could see demand quickly come back, which would further cause you know, the supply demand imbalance. Uh, one other thing I want to note on, on inflation is that, you know, one thing a lot of economists look at is money velocity, which is essentially the rate at which money changes hands. Um, over the last couple of months, that's you know, that rate has essentially fallen off of the cliff. Uh, but more recently, that's starting to tick up. So. Over the last decade, we've seen you know money velocity, you know it's, it's been relatively low, which is you know kept inflation uh, relatively low over the last decade. But you know if we even see money velocity tick up to where it was two to three years ago, and with the growth of the monetary base that we've been seeing, you know, inflation could certainly tick up. So again, you know we're not saying that inflation is going to uh, get out of hand, but if it were to go back to let's say, you know, a 3% level, 3.5% level in, in, in a year, uh, that's certainly reasonable, especially if you look at, you know, the IMS prediction of a 5.1% GDP growth this year in the U.S. If that turns out to be true, that certainly could uh, fan the flames of inflation for sure. So, you know, you're right. You know, the tips market has certainly been pricing in a lot of inflation over the last couple of months. If you look at break-even rates, 10-year uh, break-even rate in the U.S. is just above 2% right now. But if you look at it, at it historically, uh, break-even rates surpassed 2.5% after the great financial crisis when we saw you know, this great reflation of assets. So that could, you know, that could certainly happen again. So I wouldn't say uh, ZTIP is a core exposure, but if you had 
let's say, 3 to 5% in the portfolio, that's a good way to offset traditional fixed income risk, uh, such as duration risk. So that, that could certainly go a long way, in my opinion. Thanks for that, Alfred. And for me, I think the most interesting, if you, if you look a little bit more medium term, is, is this idea uh, that the Fed is no longer going to be thinking about a ceiling on inflation, but really targeting a longer term average. Uh, definitely a signal to the market uh, that they're open to more inflation moving forward. You're listening to Views from the Desk, a weekly edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're enjoying today's discussion, we encourage you to check out our deep dive episodes where we take you under the hood of BMO GAM's product suite. Check out episode 53 in the same podcast series where we take a deeper look at currency and its important impact on globally diversified portfolios. Our experts debate the pros and cons of hedged versus unhedged ETFs and why it makes sense right now to build some exposure to U.S. dollar within your client portfolios. Let's look at our new cover call ETF as well, ZWT. Uh, we know that these technology companies have been driving market returns. Um, but for those that also want that income stream, combining a cover call overlay sounds a lot like getting the best of growth and income. So, Chris, can you comment on how you've built the portfolio? And as well, touch on your approach to call writing to make sure that ZWT still captures uh, that all-important growth. Thanks. Sure. And, yeah, this is a fund that we think, um, you know, makes a lot of sense in the current environment and just adds to the the overall stable of covered call funds that we offer with various different underlying portfolios in them. Um, So, first of all, how we build this portfolio, what we want with this is to take exposure to the largest companies in what I'll call the broader technology sector. So we look within the the gig sector specifically, and we'll take the the technology uh, companies or those that are that are labeled technology. But we're also looking a little bit broader um, at some of those let's call them technology related companies. So some of the subsectors like interactive media, um, for example, that captures Facebook or Google. They're not in the technology sector proper, but obviously we think um, our technology plays and are heavily reliant on technology for their operations and and what they do and what they offer. Um, As well, the internet and direct marketing subsectors is another one. So think about Amazon in in that sense. Um, So we're we're not just drawing from that specific technology sector, but a couple of broader sectors as well that contain a lot of those technology-related companies. If you'll remember a couple of years ago, they did rejig the, the gig sectors and booted out a lot of companies that were previously considered technology into other areas like consumer discretionary um, uh, areas. And so we build the portfolio. And again, we're building with large companies. So again, I mentioned Facebook and Google, but within the technology sector as well, Microsoft, Amazon, and Visa and the like. So it's a very, very liquid portfolio. Um, with stocks that are very well-known and, 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 and generally quality-oriented uh, companies as well with, with strong cash flows. So on top of that, once we've built this portfolio, um, we add in the covered call overlay. And even though we're applying it in a very similar fashion here as we do to our other covered call funds, it ends up looking a little bit different just because of the underlying equities um, that we're writing on. So just as a reminder, the way we approach, again, really all of our covered call um, overlays 
is that we only cover half of approximately half of the portfolio. So on each name, we'll cover approximately 50% of the position we have in that name. What that does is obviously we're going to earn income um, from writing those options, but it leaves half the portfolio completely uncapped because when you write a covered call option, you are trading away some potential upside for that premium you're earning today. And so we want to keep some of that portfolio completely uncapped in order to, to benefit from that growth that we expect this sector and really all of our covered call funds to, to experience going forward. Um, but we're still earning that decent amount of premium on the portion of the portfolio that we are covering with options. The second part is that we use um, the volatility or expected volatility of the underlying equities to determine where to set our strike prices. So for a stock that doesn't move very much on a day-to-day -day basis, and you can think more about utilities or Canadian banks that are less volatile stocks, the options we write are going to be closer to the money, 3 4 5% out of the money. In this technology sector where the underlying equities are, are a little bit more volatile than that, um, we can write much farther out of the money while still earning that decent premium. And just to give an example, when we first launched this portfolio, the first set of options we uh, traded on this portfolio were approximately 14, 15% out of the money um, with probably a little bit more than one month on average to maturity. So even the portion of the portfolio that we're covering with options can grow that 14 to 15% over the next month before you're trading off any potential upside for that premium you've generated. At the same time, we're adding a decent amount of cash flow to this portfolio that otherwise probably wouldn't have one. You know, technology-related stocks generally don't pay a very high dividend. Um, you know, it's about 1% on this portfolio in terms of the dividend yield. But we're adding another, call it approximately 5% annualized in terms of option premium. So you're taking this growth portfolio um, that has exposure to a sector that we think makes a lot of sense over the next few years, and you're adding that nice cash flow stream to it. So for investors that want growth, but they also want a little bit of that income, um, we think this makes a lot of sense. At the same time, by focusing on larger companies, um, A, that helps the liquidity of the options market, but also B, you know, we're, we're investing in companies that really are the, the sort of tried and true technology companies and ones that you would expect would not have exponential growth over the next five years. Or, or, or next couple of years. And so that lends itself a little bit better to that covered call overlay. You know, the stocks that are a bit more stable and certainly will be growing, but in a bit more stable way, um, will allow us to write that covered call overlay and capture uh, most of the growth while still generating that premium. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. And, you know, this, this ETF, the WT, certainly interests me when I look at it because I always tell people to start by looking at the underlying portfolio. And when I see the top 10 sprinkled in with names like Apple, Facebook, Google, Microsoft, Amazon, you know, you're really capturing uh, those companies that are on the, on the edge of really transforming the economy. So certainly an appealing ticker that we brought out there, ZWT. So at this point, I do want to pause and check if there are any questions on the line for Chris and Alfred. Good morning, gents. Uh just have a follow-up question here on clean energy. Um, so lots of money flowing into the space, right, as you alluded to earlier in the call. Um, so as such, what we're seeing is a lot of the names in the space uh, tend to look quite a bit expensive right now from a valuation perspective. I know, Alfred, you touched on the high market valuations earlier in the call. 
So I just have a two-part question here. Uh, so when it comes to ZCLN, so that's your nuclear energy ETF, should I really be picking my spot here before getting in, or is it a tactical play in your view or more of a strategic exposure uh, in the portfolio? And secondly, how do you go about picking the stocks uh, in the portfolio? Thank you. Yeah, certainly, you know, as, as we said, you know, 150% returns over the previous year um, can raise some concerns about investors thinking, did I miss the boat? Um, you know, are these stocks too, uh, too pricey now? Um, but really, you know, as I mentioned earlier, this is a trend that we expect to play out over a, a, a very, very long time. Um, call it five years, 10 years, and, and even longer. And so we think it actually makes sense as a strategic allocation, potentially in a lot of portfolios. Um, again, um, you know, coal and oil are not going anywhere anytime soon. But over the long term, when you look out 20 years, potentially the renewables and clean energy is the energy sector. Um, and so we think, you know, again, with huge amounts of investment still coming into this area, um, the, uh, the potential for growth is very, very significant. So valuations are, are less important in that sense if you potentially see those earnings growing significantly over time. Um, so we do think it makes a lot of sense um, to put this as a strategic allocation in the same way that investors, um, you know, invest across different sectors and, and across different uh, regions, um, we think this is just one of those um, sectors to consider and, and to have an allocation to. Um, in terms of how the stocks are selected, it is, again, based on the S&P Clean Energy Index. So, um, you know, they, they have a robust rules methodology around that. That's available on the S&P website um, if you want to go digging, or I'm sure we can um, find that as well. But uh, in terms of the details of that, it is an S&P-based index, and we are simply tracking that index. If we're using the NASDAQ as the proxy for our tech exposure, I'm just wondering what might motivate me to use the covered call version versus the traditional benchmark, and what similarities or dissimilarities would you find between the two? Sure, and uh, I think um, you know one point to make on the NASDAQ is that um, you know, the NASDAQ 100, that index is really just the largest companies that are listed on the NASDAQ stock exchange. And so while it is traditionally considered a tech-like index or a tech-focused index, there's actually a lot of different sectors um, that have exposure in, um, in the NASDAQ index. For example, Costco is in the NASDAQ index or Pepsi, uh, for example. So a couple of consumer discretionary stocks there. There's a lot of healthcare stocks in the NASDAQ as well. Um, and so... Um, again, while it's been traditionally viewed as a technology index, there's really a lot of other exposures that are, that are in that NASDAQ index. If you take a look at something more like, um, you know, south of the border, the XLK ETF, which is just a pure um, technology sector index ETF, um, that's probably closer to what our exposure is. Again, I, I mentioned we're going with broader technology here. We're not just um, investing in that pure sector, but that's probably most similar in terms of uh, what, what you would think about in terms of this fund versus, you know, one of those indices. Um, again, I think it, it's based more on, you know, what, what are your objectives as an investor? Do you want an element of income? Um, if you do, I think, you know, the, the covered call version makes a lot of sense in terms of getting exposure to a growth sector, but still generating, again, about a 5% uh, yield on top of that growth potential. If you simply want pure 
um, you know, growth exposure to the NASDAQ or to other similar type exposures, you know, obviously we offer ZQQ and ZNQ that give exposure to the NASDAQ uh, index itself. Um, so I think growth-specific oriented investors might want that um, exposure. And then investors that are looking for an element of income or are looking for the sector to maybe, um, you know, on, on a more tactical basis, looking for the sector to maybe trade a little bit more sideways this year. Maybe you see a couple of headwinds coming for technology or maybe you think the, the sector is a little bit overvalued, whatever the case, on a tactical basis. Um, you want to switch to a covered call version that'll pick up the, the coupon or, or pick up those option premiums um, as the as the sector maybe trades a little bit more sideways or has a little bit less growth potential. So it's growth versus growth in income. Thanks, Chris. And with the new tips product, I mean, in terms of a portfolio, is that a tactical sleeve, would you suggest, or is that a longer term hold? I mean, tips just haven't been as topical for the last number of years. And I think clients are going to wonder how we should be using that. Thanks, Alfred. I, I would say it's um, it's it's a strategic uh, allocation to your portfolio, meaning it's a it's a long term hold, uh, but it's definitely not a core position, right? So as I mentioned, I think if you have um, you know three percent, four percent position in your portfolio as a as a long term hedge against inflation, um, I think that is very timely at this at this point of of the market cycle, uh, given that you know as I mentioned, break even rates are starting to kick up at this point. So it's a good way to hedge out, you know, traditional fixed income risk, such as, such as duration risk. Um, so I think it's a it's a strategic position, but it's a, it's not a core position. It's about a three to five percent uh, position in your portfolio. I want to thank everyone for joining us this morning. We certainly appreciate your time, and thanks for listening in. Uh, thanks, of course, to both Chris and Alfred. Appreciate your insights. Uh, both on current market conditions and what's been going on south of the border, but as well introducing us to a few of those new ETFs that I really do think can uh, help portfolios and help advisors have good conversations with their clients. So some really good ads there and great to see them doing well out of the gate. So with that, I'd just like to thank everyone one last time and have a great day. Thank you to Alfred Lee, Chris McKinney, and Mark Rays for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. There are trends on the horizon that cannot be ignored, like the gradual shift to renewables or the supply and demand imbalance looming this year. To get ahead of the curve, consider BMO's new clean energy ETF ticker ZCLN or build protections against inflation with ZTIP. That's ZTIP. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio manager represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time, without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment tax or legal advice to any party. Investment should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statements that necessarily depend on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.